Bonsoir. How are you, dear friends? We are building the most inspiring and phenomenal communities of wine lovers. As we all know, wine is the catalyst of the greatest discussion. We'll be talking wine, but of course food, and everything that touches all our nation and senses. Bonjour, bonsoir, dear friends. Welcome to JCD Live. This is an happy hour with one of the most amazing leaders in the wine world in America. It's been amazing to see and meet some of the people who shaped the wine world and consumer trends and who kept being the innovators of America. Tonight, you're very lucky we are meeting one. His name is Phil Marker. He's attractive, ladies. He's been married for many years, so no wrong intention. He's very healthy because he knows wines bring health and a great physique. He was an actor as well for many years. He's an actor today in the wine world, of course. And he's really one of the most amazing buyer, merchandiser, marketing man, salesman for the wine industry. He works for an amazing group the Albertson companies, which really encompass many, many big retail brands, including obviously Vance and Pavilion, Albertson, Safeways, and many others. He's the man. He's going to tell us everything we should know about wine. And very importantly, the trends, the direction of where the wine world is going, what we should be doing, what we should be expecting. And we'll talk about California Wine Month, because he's a big supporter of that a big lover of California, dear friends, meet the wonderful, the charming, the irresistible Phil Market. Woo! <laughs> Phil, being with you is a blessing for all of us. Thank, Thank you. you. Cheers. I love it. You could see his sexy profiles. So Phil, where are you actually today? I'm live from Tustin, California, in my living room. Well, thank you so much, Phil, for opening your beautiful house, your family home, and your mind to all of us tonight. So, Phil, how many years are you celebrating in the wine world now? This is my uh, 39th year with the Albertsons Companies. And I've been associated with wine for 35 of the 39 years. In one way or another. Are you trying to tell us you started at 10 years old? Is it how it works? I thought it was, I thought it was 12. <laughs> That's amazing. But before you got into wine, Phil, I'd love for our friends. And I did not lie. You have an amazing physique. You're keeping shape every day. I know you wake up at 4.30 and you are in the gym <laughs> by 5 a.m. So... Explain everybody your life in LA and this amazing time you lived in Los Angeles and your lifestyle at the time and then what got you to wine. Wow, that's a, that's a long story. We only have uh, an hour. Uh, first of all, I mean, I have a passion for fitness and a passion for wine. So those, those two go hand in hand. Yes. Because uh, you got to stay fit if you're going to keep having these beautiful wines that you make. Uh, but no, I, 
I didn't, I didn't start out in wine. I didn't, I, you know, quite frankly, I didn't grow up in, in wine. Uh, really, I started uh, 42 years ago at a liquor store by my house. That was probably my entrance to the liquor category. And back then, I was probably drinking more Long Island iced teas and rum and cokes than I was any kind of wine. If I had wine, it was probably Andre Cold Duck back then. Yeah, well, like <laughs> many of us, for sure. <laughs> but uh, no, I was uh, I was actively involved with sports and very competitive. And uh, what sports were you in? Well, I uh, I played soccer. I played football. I, uh, baseball, but where I really excelled was weightlifting. That's right. That's where I really excelled. And I was a competitive power lifter for a lot of years. And, uh, you know, again, to, to be able to enjoy these nice wines and the food that goes with it, you got to stay fit. So I had a good foundation. <laughs> well, you up. power lift today very well. I know I've yeah, seen yeah. you doing it. <laughs> But Phil, before we dive into the world of wine and describe Los Angeles, Malibu, Hollywood, because you were acting as well. You were in the film industry too. I act, I actually did a, a short stint in modeling first. Yes. And uh, and then, you know, I did a I did a few things in in acting, soap opera, uh, some other commercial type print stuff, but. You know, I'm one of those guys that things happen for a reason. Uh, and I think part of that experience was making me comfortable in front of people, in front of an audience, confidence, you know, th those types of things. And then I wouldn't have met my lovely wife, I think, without that experience. Uh, but that was kind of the foundation in LA with sports, got in a little bit of modeling, a little bit of acting. At the same time, though, I was working at Safeway uh, overnight. I worked graveyard for six years. Wow. While, so while graveyard I was is from what time to what time? 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. Oof, not easy. I, and you were modeling and, and acting during the day. Yes, yes. And then, uh, you know, my, my experience with wine really started when I, when I met my wife and her, her dad was a wine collector and I was in the grocery stores and, you know, I met a whole nother side of life that I didn't really know about. Yeah. And this was, this was back in 1985. And as many of you know, on this, on this show, that was really the beginning of the, the wine boom in the United States was the, yeah. the mid eighties and the food, the food craze, you know, you think about the mid eighties in LA, you got, uh, Spago, Citrus, Michael's, yes. uh, some iconic restaurants. Some are still there, some are gone. And I was right in the center of that working in Santa Monica, California and learning for, about food and wine for, really from my father-in-law. And uh, I, I, I remember going to wine parties at his house back in the mid 80s and drinking uh, Chateau Petrus, Palmerol, <laughs> uh, 
Chateau Beaucassel. So I, I kind of grew up on French wines. Ooh. And then I, I transitioned to California wines. That's right. So what you're saying is you were at the right time, at the beginning of a big phase. Right. And so what attracted you to, to dive into this passion? Because I assume wine became your passion quickly. Yes. Uh, I, I, was, I was intrigued by the history, the passion, the stories, uh, and having, having being a, I'm a retailer, so I had that retail mindset. Yes. And back then, I was, I was very innovative back then. I was, uh, I specialized in specialty type foods. Mm -hmm. So the wine was a natural uh, component of that. But you got to remember, there was no wine in grocery stores in the mid 80s. That's right. There was jug wine and box wine and some, you know, imports like uh, Folinari Suave Bola. <laughs> so were you one of the first one to actually bring yes. wine into, explain us that trend because you're a true innovator, athlete, modeling, acting, you love retail, you see this explosion into wine potential and you say, that's going to be my life. Yep. And bang, you bring a big deal of innovation to it. So describe us how it happened because it's such an inspiration to everyone. You know, it, you know I, I come from a hardworking family. I worked hard. Uh, I saw an opportunity. Mm -hmm. uh, I saw an opportunity where uh, my customers were coming into my store and buying their wine at a wine shop down the street. Yeah. So... I, I saw that opportunity, and then early on, my uh, father-in-law took us to, uh, you know, nice restaurants. And what really triggered to what you see today in our stores, uh, I'll go back to 1988, early 88. Uh, we were having dinner at a restaurant called, called El Forno on Ocean Park Boulevard in Santa Monica. It's still there. I hope I it's still there. I exactly know where you were. Uh, and we had, a, we had dinner with uh, friends and family. I was, I was working at the Santa Monica store and I was dabbling with wine back then, but not in a big way, small. And then uh, it was an experience at that restaurant that launched the program that you see today. Yeah. And what it was, was we had a, my father ordered a bottle of 1985 Groth Reserve Cabernet. And it just got a hundred from Robert Parker, on, I think a couple of days before that. And the restaurant had an allocation. So we're drinking that. And I asked, I asked the restaurant owner, I said, what is it about this wine? Because all the other tables were drinking it as well. And he said, Robert Parker gave it a hundred. I said, who's Robert Parker? What's a hundred mean? That's right. And I was like a kid in a candy shop. Well, great question though. And, and right. you were curious, which yes. is the biggest sign of intelligence. So then what, what triggered it was I, was, I looked over in the corner and there was a customer of mine from the store in Santa Monica, which is about a mile down the street from the restaurant. And they were drinking it and the light bulb goes on. There's a correlation between a restaurant and a retailer. You come into the restaurant, you enjoy a nice bottle of wine, 
you want to go buy it at a, a neighborhood store. Absolutely. So what I did was after that dinner, I went back to the store the next day. I found out who carried the wine. I brought in three cases, stuck it, stuck it in the aisle, which fine wine in the grocery store in 1988 was about six feet. Yeah. Um, and it blew out. The customers loved it. So for the next six months, back then there was no computers. I got a copy of all the wine lists within a two mile radius of the store. Ooh. Wrote down all the common wines. And there was a wine shop across the street that I went in there and wrote down some stuff. And basically in, in September of 1988, I launched the fine wine program in Santa Monica with about 700 fine wines from around the world. Wow. That is the beginning of what you see today in our, in our stores. Well, which is amazing is, Phil, you could be accountable for starting this trend all across the United States because it went from your store all across the country, right? Unfortunately, over time, yes. <laughs> well, Phil, so, you know, you're a Californian, many generations in this beautiful, irresistible state, this beautiful and you know, so giving state, makes amazing wine. You love imports as well, but tell us what makes California wine so great? We celebrate in California Wine Month. Uh, what do you love about the California wines? Well, again, I, I, love, I love the history. Uh, when I started this program, you know, nearly 30 years, well, actually over 30 years ago now, I really connected with small family-owned wineries. That's yep. how I started this thing. And I was very fortunate to be able to spend time with Robert Mondavi, you know, Michael Mondavi, Mike Gergich, you know, some of the early pioneers, you know, Chuck Wagner. And, you know, I met, you know, I told you the story about the Groth wine. I actually got to meet Judy and Dennis Groth about yep. a year or two later and told them the story. And I've been, you know, friends with them since, you know, the late eighties. <laughs> and I, I really connected with the small family owned wineries. Uh, you know, God bless his soul. Uh, Mr. Carano, Ferrari Carano, Don Carano, uh, you know, the Benzinger family. Yeah. Early, early adopter of the program. Uh, I could, people. I could go on. Of course, you know, everyone, but it was the, the passion, the the hard work you, know, you think about the benzinger family you know their story and it was i connected with that yeah and, and you wanted uh, your customer and you wanted your cons consumer to connect the same way yes so that it was that um and then you got to think about it too jean charles when i started in this 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 was the beginning yeah of the fine wine boom in the united states so i was right there going to Napa Valley, going to Sonoma, Paso, and, you know, the beginning of all this, you know, the J. Lohr family, for example, the, the Firestone, Brooke Firestone, you know, what, what he was doing. So I was, you know, I was young and I was right there and I was, you know, again, I was, I was. Uh, well, you saw, you saw the trend and you build the trend as well. Right. But what makes you promote so well California wines and love 
so much California wines because what I love with you, and I need to say that to everyone, and this is a good occasion to actually introduce the wine we had last week as a virtual tasting together, the LVE from the south of France, from the Provence, the wine that we make with our good friend, John Legend, who is your friend as well. Uh, you love French wines, you love Italian wines, you love the world of wine, but as well, which I love with you, is you're very true to California and a big promoter. So first I wanna have a toast for that because it's so cool that you are. And tell us what makes California wine so good with such potential. Well, you know, you're talking about the California, what, what drives me, the consumer drives me. Yeah. You know, the consumers in, whether it's Northern California or Southern California, love California. They want to support local. And, you know, so I listen to the consumer. Our strategy is all about the consumer. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's my job to emotionally connect the California wineries to the consumer yeah. through what we do in our stores, and as you know, we did we do a lot of winemaker dinners when we could, a lot of in-store tastings, and now we're doing virtual. Uh -huh. uh, <laughs> so uh, I'm just I'm just passionate about California and what it what it has to offer, the lifestyle, yes, uh, the, the the history of it. But really, at the end of the day, that's what the consumers want. They want to mostly connect on who's making that wine, what their values are. It's my job to educate the consumer. Yeah, and you're doing a, the hell of a job. So a fantastic job at it. So a new trend, obviously, you've been on the forefront of, which we did last week with our good friend John Legend, of all people. <laughs> you know, an amazing singer, a great voice uh, for the world of music. And this is the Provence Rosé that we're having. So tell us about what you're doing in the world of virtual tasting and how this pandemic has made you evolve. Well, as you know, I've done over 1,200 winemaker dinners in my career. Uh, we've right. always, Which is so unusual for someone in retail to, to be so active that way. So I commend you. And, uh, you know, winemaker dinners were a way for us to connect to consumers, to enjoy uh, a nice meal at a restaurant paired with the, the wines from our store and listen to somebody like yourself talk passionately about their family, what they believe in, the wines, where it comes from, the terroir. Yeah. And so that was a very strong uh, marketing vehicle for us. We also have in our pavilion stores, wine tasting bars that we also use to invite consumers into our store, taste the wines with the owner or the winemaker. Which is great. Yeah. I mean, I've done many with you and they were so successful. And, and besides the amount of wine we can sell, it's the amount of great connection we have with people and being able to have a discussion with people because everybody wants to talk wine. So, so that was very smart of you. So now, now in, the, in, the, in our COVID world, uh, we pivoted. We pivoted to virtual. So we started doing virtual uh, wine tastings about two months ago. And we just did a very successful one last week with you. 
uh, that that was, you know, I think legendary. And it was, it was great to have John on there as well. Uh, For sure. Well, you are the legend, and John is is the incoming legend in terms of wine. <laughs> He's learning. But uh, the virtual tastings, you think about it, John Charles, it's allowed us to go into people's living rooms yeah. and enjoy uh, a guest on your computer right in front of you to talk passionately about the history of the winery, the history of the terroir, uh, a little a little bit of uh, you know unique uh, differences between the wines and where they come from. And what we've been able to do is, is pair cheese with that uh, engagement. And we've had uh, very successful virtual tastings with upwards of 500 people wow. on, the, on the call. And uh, it's also translated to sales and for consumers to come back into our stores. For sure. And the virtual tasting, because of social media, has opened up an entire new audience to our stores that prior to COVID, we weren't capturing all that. So, you know, again, I think I told you early on, I've always been one of those guys that things happen for a reason. Yes. And, and I think innovation is the ability to take a hit and move forward and do something different. So I've been very fortunate to be able to do that. That's amazing and, and congratulations for it. On that note, where do you think are the tastes of the American consumer going in terms of wine? That, that's a great question uh, because I think it's, it's generational. Uh, yeah. And you know the the art the art of selling is to diagnose the customer. Mm -hmm. So every interaction you have with a customer, your job is to find what they like and recommend something that fits within what they like. Yeah. So I mean, there's still I would say in the younger generations, there's still a movement toward maybe a little bit more uh, richer bolder wines a little bit higher in alcohol yeah uh, more of a red blend uh and then you still have the you know the boomers and the and i guess you call it the elders who are still more bordeaux style lower alcohol traditional yeah but then you've got this whole younger generation who is really driving innovation with the explosion of rosé uh, the explosion of, of, of cocktails in a can. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, what we're seeing with ready-to-drink cocktails. Yes. Wine-based cocktails, spirit-based cocktails. All of that is, I think, more of an in-home occasion. So you're seeing during this pandemic, you're seeing a lot more in-home occasion. And I'm seeing a lot more uh, wine being sold, uh, I think because more and more people are at home eating versus going out. And I think that's going to have an impact on our future generations. Where if you remember, John Charles, think about it, pre-COVID, we were talking a little bit about the, not the demise of wine, 
but for the first time in the United States, wine consumption declined. Yes. Because the boomers were aging and you know, quite frankly, dying off. But uh, we were worried that the millennials weren't going to replace what we've experienced over the last 25 years. With this whole crisis, what we're seeing is millennials are experiencing wine at home many times with their family. Yes. And I think the long-term benefit for the wine industry is very positive right now. I, I think that uh, the transition to wine and food uh, and cooking at home would never have happened had the pandemic not happened. So again, I think for the wine industry, there's a golden opportunity right now to connect with the younger generation. And I think it's happening. And I think these virtual events that we're doing, what you're doing will help drive that in the future. Uh, you know, you were, we were talking about imports earlier, you know, French wine and Italian wine, there's been so, somewhat of a resurgence there as well, mm -hmm. which, is, which is good for everybody. Absolutely. It's wine world of wine, isn't it? <laughs> hey, talking about French wine, you are the man, and this is why I really wanted this wine today with you, who saw the trend of rosé. Right. I remember forever, it was eight years ago, in the living room here in Napa Valley, all of us having a great drink and you have a toast and you said, Jean-Charles, the next trend is exactly this. You're going to go crazy with it. <laughs> and besides the trend, we love rosé. So tell us why that happened and well, then des describe this baby for us. <laughs> I think it's two-pronged how it happened. Obviously, what it started in Europe, as you know. In, in Europe, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, about was it about five or six years ago, Rosé became the number one seller in France. That's right, 36%. And, and in Europe, where everybody's traveling to the, to the Swiss Alps and they're going to Italy, they're going to France, what started to happen was in January, people were drinking Rosé in the Swiss Alps at the ski resorts six years ago. And like, like a lot of things, it started to move toward the East Coast and East Coast started drinking rosé. But I'll be honest with you, it was about eight years ago. Uh, I'm a judge at the San Francisco International Wine Competition. I've been a judge oh, for the yeah. last 10 years now. Congratulations, that's a great one. Yeah, and being a retailer, you know, my job is to listen. And I remember eight years ago, because I became a judge, not so much because I enjoy spitting 200 wines over three days or drinking, <laughs> or drinking Malbec at 9 a.m. That's probably not the, the, the best part of it. For me, it's listening to the master psalms, the master of wines, the winemakers, the director of education, the wine buyer for the win in Las Vegas, the, yep. the wine buyer at, the, uh, at Lowry's, or the wine buyer in New York or Florida. I'm listening, and eight years ago, all they were talking about was rosé, 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 rosé. So I jumped all over it uh, <laughs> because, you know, I know during COVID things have changed, but 
traditionally restaurants was the was the extension of your tasting room and and that's where i started hearing from you know the restaurant tours the psalms that hey rosé's here to stay rosé's real so i jumped all over it that's right As you know i got ahead of it and i think we're the, one of the largest retailers of rosé in the country and uh you know, Thanks to you, you jump on it. So why is it so good? Describe this wine to us with the words that John used last week in our tasting, <laughs> or preferably even your own words. Well, I think as I, as I smell and I taste this wine, what's happened over the last eight years, John, is that consumers have gravitated toward the Provence style, as I call it, yep. lighter, Grenache based, uh, you know, it's, it's a style. Uh, and I think, I think John's nailed the style that the consumers want. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I prefer a Taval myself. Yeah. I like a little more heavier. I, I'm that, but the consumer is my boss and they love, they love this Provence style of wine. So I think, uh, I think that you've hit the, you've hit a home run here with this wine. And what makes you such a great listener? Well, I know your wife gave me her explanation, which I won't plagiarize. <laughs> <laughs> I want your interpretation. Well, it goes back to my roots in the in the retail business. You, it's not about what you like or what I like. It's about yeah. the consumer. So you learn to listen and, you know, you make mistakes along the way, right? I mean, it's not, nobody's perfect. Yeah. And what I think separates the winners from the losers in this, in, in this space, particularly wine, is you got to take risk and, you know, you listen, you take risk. If it works, you push it further, you move on and, and make it better. If it doesn't work, what, where did it go wrong? And you, and you make course corrections and you fix it. Yeah. Uh, so no, that's great. I'm sorry. Retail is all about listening. Yeah. But what makes you as well from a listener to an innovator, there's a distinction. So what makes you as well? Because for everybody who is with us tonight, uh, Phil is one of the biggest innovators in the world of wine as well, with a very powerful group, Albertson, Vons, Pavilion, Safeway, and many other banners, you know. So what makes someone like you a great innovator? Give us the clues of what we should follow as advice. Well, I think I, I kind of mentioned it. First of all, it's listening uh, to experts yeah. to people you trust um to you know what's happening in different segments of the business whether it's restaurant the wineries sure. other re other retail it's listening it's it's the ability to take risk uh but how do you convert you listen you take risk but how do you know when to pull the trigger and and how to really balance that risk because you are a successful innovator and many of us have 
innovated without success. So give us a few of the, the recipe there. I think, I think the, the key to it is test and learn. Yeah, okay. Is take a small group of stores where you know you have the best level of success, meaning that it's the right area, you have the right people involved. Yes. That can, that can that make sure that whatever you're testing gets the maximum exposure and the maximum input. And you, you do, you, you track the results, you measure the results, you either you course correct it or you run it fast and furious yes. uh, once you have the data. So I'm, I'm a very data-driven person. Mm -hmm. And so- Great advice. Generally, I, I always test and learn before I run. Uh -huh. I mean, there's some times where you just run. Yeah. Uh, but we're like right now, one of the, the, the trends that we're seeing, we call it healthier for you. Yes. Low carb, low sugar, low calorie. Uh, I'm low delighted alcohol. our marketing team is listening. Low, low alcohol or no alcohol. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I agree. So we, we tested it in several pavilion stores early on. And then we rolled it out to, you know, 20 stores. And now we're going to roll it out to 100 stores. Uh, and we've course corrected it a little bit. No different than what we did with can, canned wine. Yeah. Canned wine exploded on the scene uh, the last two years. We got, we, we started dealing with canned wine three, four years ago. Yeah. And we've course corrected it. We, you know, we tweaked it and we came up with what we think is the best uh, amount of space for that. Congratulation. But it, it's, you got to test and learn, John Charles. You just can't have an idea and just roll with it. You got to really think about it, test it, tweak it, pivot and go. No, thank you for the advice. It's, it's great advice from one of the most, uh, you know, innovative and successful and powerful men in the wine world. Now talking about innovation, I would love for us on the last few minutes of our time together because time flies. I love when we have four or five hour dinners with your beautiful wife <laughs> and we, we, we get to those great discussion. Yes. So we're going with a place which is a big innovation for you, Phil. And we purposely wanted this wine for you because Marin County did not do really much wines uh, right. 30 years ago. And now when you taste the level of quality of this wine, this is amazing. And when we talk about California landscape, geography, geology, pedology, and potential, this is showing it. So what do you think of this wine? You know, it's, it's got a, a, like a Burgundian uh, style. You know, it's, this is mainly from the Petaluma Gap, correct? Well, yes, this is exactly. It's a very nice wine. Uh, I don't think it's overpowering at all. Uh, again, a kind of a Burgundian uh, style. Yeah. And, and great uh, elegance to it, is it? Do you think elegance is gonna become the future of wine style? Yes, I think, I think the, the transition of the millennials and the Gen Z 
will will change. I, I think I think the hot the bolder higher alcohol wines, the red blends, that was an entry point. And I think they'll I think it'll gravitate towards something more elegant like this. Well, so you gave us incredible insight on the world of wine, the world of retailing, the evolution of consumption, the beauty of California. It's California Wine Month of all things. Yep. What is Phil Market's passion? Let's go deep into <laughs> this beautiful tuxedo, this James Bond outfit today, <laughs> and uh, this charming man. Well, you know, the, the passion is, you know, food, wine, family is very important to me. Uh, fitness. Yeah. Uh, but, but being a retailer for 39 years, John Charles, it, the passion is the people. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I could not do what I've done without my wife and the commitment that she has in my career. I can't, I can't do this without my people. I have some very good, you've met a lot of them. For sure. I have some very good loyal people who have been with me. Uh, Kirk's been with me for 30 years that, that believe in what I'm doing and are passionate about what I'm doing. And they're the ones who really make it easy for me to sit back and be creative, be innovative. That's right. Strategic and listen to my customers. It's, it's not about me. It's mm -hmm. about them and the customers who really and drive. Are those, are those the people that inspire you the most? Yes. Yeah, I could, I could see it. I could feel it. Now, you do a ton for the community. You obviously associated with one of the most amazing company in the world. As we mentioned, Albertsons, Vaughn's Pavilion. Uh, tell us a little bit about your engagement with the community because I'm so proud of all the things you do. You do so much. If you had to single it out to one big action that you've been part of driving and, and bringing great contribution to the world around you. What would that be? Well, I, I'm, I know that the impact that I've had with wine has created a lot of jobs and a lot of, of opportunities for a lot of people. And I'm proud of that. Uh, I'm proud of the people that work for me and, and what I've been able to do for them. Yeah. Uh, and you know, you don't survive 39 years in a company that's been through a bunch of different mergers without having a passion for, you know, the business and, and the success that goes with it. I'm also, I'm passionate about education. Yes. Um, I've been on the, uh, Christamon, uh, board of directors now for 15 years. Uh, Christamon is a, is a scholarship foundation. Yeah. for children in the alcohol business. So we award scholarships for basically siblings of anybody that's in the alcohol business. So I've been involved with that for a long time. So I'm passionate about that. And uh, I'm, you know, I'm passionate about making a difference for people. That's yeah. what drives me. Well, congratulations. So well framed. Now, one last question, Phil. You cannot escape so easily. <laughs> you know, you, you're obviously an enormous inspiration as in the last 45 minutes, all of us feel it, sense it, are magnetized by your energy too and your wisdom. 
what message would you be willing to share to the world at large in the time we live in uh, and uh, uh, to send to all of us as, as the last moment together? I, I, I guess it would be, you know, be true to yourself, do what you're, pa do what you're passionate about, uh, treat people with respect and dignity, dignity and, uh, you know, follow your dreams. And don't be afraid to take risks. Uh, don't be afraid to uh, try to make a difference in your communities. And, uh, you know, we're, we're all blessed to be in this business, mm -hmm. uh, particularly right now. And, uh, you know, I'm hopeful that I'll inspire future leaders who can take what I've built and make it even better. Oh, fabulously said. <laughs> what is there to add, Phil? This is amazing. This, this is what I'm going to write on my windows and my vanity mirror with lipstick red. I'm going to steal the lipstick from your lovely wife and make sure that I think of you every day with those great words, because this is very true. You know, and you followed your dreams, you follow your discipline and your values and ethics and and you've been driven by that sense of excellence. So, Phil, thank you so much for being with us on this live today. Thank you for what you've done last week. Virtual tasting, an amazing time. It was huge. It was huge. <laughs> and we'll do many more. And I'm so proud to have known you all those years, to have listened to you, to have really felt your advice and, and, and for many times listened to it. And, and thank you immensely for being such a great leader and inspiration to the world of wine and the world at large. Thank to your you. wife and your daughters, yes. who are and great artists. Say hi to Gina for me too. Absolutely. And, and the twins. Of course, they send you a big kiss. <laughs> thank you, Phil. Thank you.